Hello and welcome to the Common Good Podcast, the podcast that showcases the very best of Glasgow Caledonian University and how the institution, its staff and its research benefits people and communities both at home and overseas. My name is Craig Telfer and today I am joined by Professor Mike Mannion from the School of Computing, Engineering and Built Environment to talk about spiritual artificial intelligence and how household devices like Amazon's Alexa could perhaps one day put us in touch with God. Mike, thank you very much for appearing on today's show. Pleasure. Good to hear. Good to see you, and uh, good to talk about this subject. Tell us broadly, what do we mean by spiritual AI, Mike? Can you tell us about your field of research? Well, I did a PhD in AI about thirty years ago, and uh, which is quite novel then. And I've always followed uh, its progress. It went through the doldrums a bit in the 90s and oh my goodness has it not picked up uh, <laughs> phenomenally in the last uh, 10 years um i think largely because um, processing power has has increased and we get a lot more bang for our buck these days and it's allowed us to do some very um clever things and use algorithms which were developed many years ago but they just took too long to 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 process uh, but now we can uh, we can uh, we can really exploit them. So I think with AI, it's a you know there's a wide spectrum of AI uh, devices. Right now we've got um, you know you've got your little Dyson Hoover robotic Hoover that kind of runs around the living room, uh, which but can't speak to you. So it's got a body but can't say anything. And then at the other end, you've got Amazon Alexa, which can say quite a lot of clever things to you, but doesn't have a body. Uh, and, and the kind of things that it says are, a lot of it is kind of pre-programmed, but it can do a reasonable amount of interpretation of your speech. Mm-hmm. But where we want to move it is, and it's already happening, is the notion of a personal companion alexa fulfills that role to some extent i don't know if you craig come home and say alexa uh, i'm back (laughs) and alexa will say hi craig how was your day um you know it kind of kind of knows that stuff so you kind of feel a a bit of a connection already Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so the 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 really kind of interesting is where where's that going to go and Personal companions are already starting to feature. There's a lot of companies that are startups. They, you know, they start up and they fizzle out, but that's part of the way the market works. Some of them look like Mr. Men. Some of them look like something off Doctor Who. Uh, but uh, so there's a lot of experimentation going on about what they're going to look like, what what they can can say, who are they for, what do people want them for most. So it's in that broader context that the idea of a spiritual device came along. So I think um, we kind of think that if you want a companion, different people want companions for different reasons. Some will just want listening posts because they want somebody to talk to. Others will want not just sympathetic interaction. Yeah, that's a great idea, Craig. Yeah, what a... (laughs) And, and then um, others will want to be, uh, use them to, to be educated as well. They want to learn from that companion. And that 
learning will be not just inf- it, it will not just be about providing information it will be in a sort of reactive way you ask um, a question and you get given an answer i think you want a companion who is spontaneous and kind of gets to know you and says hey craig did you know that the scotland rugby team is going to be training next week for the first time in six months and so it's kind of not waiting for you it's it's, it's starting to learn from some of the things that you've been interested in and then starts to give you information unprompted mm-hmm. and then and then and then you're into that kind of um level of interaction which is quite more of what we'd imagine a companion to be and then the spiritual bit comes into play where we have uh, many people have uh, a faith and want to uh, develop that faith now the i suppose the greatest sorry the most popular faiths have been around for several hundreds and thousands of years mm-hmm. and over that period of time spiritual advisors i mean people uh, whether that's pastors imams uh, priests or, or whatever the um, hindu priests are called then so that there's a wealth of knowledge uh, and a wealth of engagement to be drawn upon and i think people will have moments in their life where they want to draw upon that sort of wisdom mm-hmm. and knowledge and companionship but they are not in a position to do so and it may be that a robotic companion primed with knowledge can fill that gap to some extent given what you're saying there mike it sounds like a sort of spiritual ai that seems the next logical step in the progression of technology i think it's an area where it's it's underexplored i i think people haven't kind of got to that level of what we might want to use a spirit a, a companion for to me it's it's going to be one of a number of different um, channels in which we develop and evolve the likes of an alexa and a google mini home mm-hmm. so these things at the moment are very focused on providing a bit of entertainment um either they'll play a play your favorite music list or they'll can control your house and you can see the range of applications which is growing having said that they're not uh, in themselves terribly sophisticated in the amount of intelligence they've got and uh, i think you'd tire of them very quickly as a as a traveling companion um so we're we're a long way away from sophisticated interaction like two human beings have a long long way away however i was just putting it out there to think that you know if half the world world's population has a faith of one form or another that's a huge market so would there be a demand for this kind of technology what you're saying there must be quite a big demand then for it well i think if you add together christians muslims hindus buddhists confucianists and a whole range of other perhaps um smaller volume faith believers you've probably got at least half the planet so i'd say that's a pretty big market and each one of those traditions and heritages have got their own approach to spiritual advice and a whole 
body of literature to draw upon in crafting how that advice is given. So it was that was kind of triggering me. And so I don't think we're short of content. Mm-hmm. I think that the, the hardest bit with any artificial intelligent device is, is the complexity of the human being and understanding that and the different, not just language, but cultural preferences and emotional moods that we go through in our lives yeah and 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 responding to that and we have enough trouble doing that as two human beings (laughs) what kind of companies would develop this technology and are there any concerns as to what they would do with this data and these are very complicated complex conversations you would have with a another person about your religion so what are the implications then of having those conversations with a machine the companies that will do it will be those who, uh, so there'll be, I think, a separation of concerns between the, those who build the kind of robotic companion and those who will build, which is effectively the platform, like your app store. Mm-hmm. And then there'll be others to build the apps that go on the app store. So there'll be independent third parties who will build different applications to run on your robots that can do different things. So I can imagine you can go down and get a, you know, a, a Muslim spiritual advisor package and a Christian spiritual advisor package and a Hindu spirit. I mean, I, I, that's the way I think it would um, materialize. I think the risks are that in an interaction between two people, it's what, what happens to that conversation. It's like what's happening to this conversation you and I are having now. It's in your control. And I'm trusting you to edit it so I don't look complete, sound completely foolish when um, <laughs> it's released. Of course, in a, in a spiritual advisor setting, then people may expose some vulnerabilities about their feelings, which they certainly would not want to be shared with anybody else. So there will be an element of... Uh, confidentiality about what happens to any um, conversation where does it go is it stored anywhere or is it just going to be kept local on the device can it be easily wiped mm-hmm. um, the second thing is of course the nature of the advice that is given and that it adheres to um, first of all the values of the faith of which it purports to be uh, and then secondly of course um, any uh, legal uh, boundaries that there might that it might be operating within within the country it's being used in because clearly there are different um, yeah different different legislation different countries how can AI truly understand a person's relationship with their faith and do you think there's any point where this technology could actually go even one step further and replace priests rabbis imams ministers I think we're a long, long way from that. I mean, that's the, that's the kind of $64 million question. I think the, the broader question is kind of rather than just focus on the, the pastor or the priest or the imam is more generally is can a machine ever replicate another human being? And then you are starting to be drawn into um, really deep seated questions about whether, about our capability as a species to replicate the brain. 
I mean, we're hundreds of years away from that. As many as that, you, do you reckon, like, 100 yeah. years? Yeah, more, uh, probably more, I would think, yeah. I mean, the brain's such a... We're making... Yeah, we're making progress, but the, the, the brain is so complicated that um, for us to... We, you know, we're a long way from fully understanding how it does things. Now, it's not to say that when we create a machine that we need to do things in the same way that the brain does them. A computer can process numbers far more, uh, can do a lot of arithmetical calculations far quicker than we can as human beings. So there you've got an analogy between a, um, a task which needs to be done and a machine doesn't do it in the same way that we might do it and it's doing it quicker. So, you know, they, the way a machine will do things is maybe is, is not necessarily going to be the same way. But of course, we draw upon what the brain does and how it does it for inspiration. Mm-hmm. So we're a long way from that. And then, of course, the, the, the complexities of who we are and we've evolved over several million years to be who we are right now and all the nuances and the way we interact with each other that um, trying to not pre-program every detail, but get to a certain level of abstractions and foundations, and which would then allow two robots to interact with each other or to interact with us is really quite complex. And then you've got the probably the, the hardest, or probably the deepest philosophical question after that is um, even, if we, even if we could, or let's suppose we could, so what then distinguishes us from a machine? I mean, if we are simply made of physical matter and a machine is made of physical matter, then what is it that makes us any different? It's just that the nature of the matter is different. And I think these are, you know, philosophical questions which are being, you know, which are being grappled with and continue to be to some extent. This all sounds quite overwhelming, Mike. Should, should we be worried by this at all. I mean, my only really knowledge of AI is having watched Blade Runner. That's as, that's, I'll be honest, that's, that's as far as it goes. But this sort of stuff about machines perhaps achieving spirituality, fundamentally no difference between man and machine, is this something people should be concerned about? Yeah, I think, I think it is. But it's not going to be in your lifetime, Craig, and therefore absolutely not in mine. But of course, these questions are important ones to ask. And as we continue to develop intelligent applications, then they keep coming back to us. Uh, And every little notch or nudge forward, which we make, uh, causes us to stop and pause. If you, so even in the last five years, you know, we've moved from, uh, so the United Kingdom government has sought to put in place an AI ethical framework because which we would have which is unheard of mm-hmm. 10 years ago but we've needed to do that because we need to start to ask questions and consider the boundaries between where are um, between us making decisions and machines making decisions so I'll give you a, um, a good example I mean the, the technology is broadly available to do self-driving cars and we've you've had you know your your previous a colleague of mine who's recently made some observations about the possibilities of 5g enhancing how we might have self-driving cars but the challenges are are really around 
the boundary decision making. So, for example, if you are on the outside lane of the motorway, of the M8, which is becoming a smart motorway, and your self-driving car is taking you along to Glasgow or wherever you're going to go, and then all of a sudden your car stops at 70 miles an hour. Now, it could be because you've been hacked. It could be because something's broken down. And then you're into all sorts of dilemmas about, so who's responsible for that? And the supply chain is quite deep. So it could start with, so was it the data, was it the instrument on the side of the motorway in the hard shoulder, which was sending data to your car? Was it the hardware that was, or was it the software of that particular instrumentation? Or when it got to the car, was it the hardware that received the data or was it the software that was on the hardware? So all of a sudden you've got four different points of failure. And then, of course, is the fifth one is where you paying attention to the red light that came on anyway. And you were so busy listening to your playlist that you hadn't noticed it. So um, what, what, what's happening here is, is that um, we are, over the next 100 years, um, increasingly giving and handing over the trust of certain decisions to machines. And as we, those machines increasingly make the right decision, we will increase our trust on those decisions to a point where you know we won't bother questioning it anymore mm -hmm. however that attitude in itself could be a bad habit to get into if you then assume that our machine is always making the right decision in any context of your life mm -hmm. without making sure that there are some checks and balances uh, to do that one of the biggest weaknesses right now with the levels of device that we currently have are their inability to explain themselves to you. And, you know, that would actually be a critical part of spiritual advising, by the way. But um, how do you mean by that, Mike? How, how do these devices fail to explain themselves to us? Okay, so um, let's suppose you wake up one morning and you've got a pain in your stomach, maybe on the right-hand side. And uh, off you go and say, Alexa, can you, I've got this pain in my stomach, what do you think it could be? So assuming Alexa can understand that bit, at the moment, Amazon Alexa, as far as I'm aware, has got um, a relationship with the NHS insofar as it will therefore go and look up, find a relevant uh, NHS webpage and read it back to you. I'm maybe paraphrasing a little bit, but that's kind of broadly the level of support. So to some extent, it's providing some advice and guidance to you, okay? Um, now, let's take that a step further, and it says, okay, well, what exactly are the symptoms? And you describe them a bit more. It goes away and it comes back. By the way, Craig, you need your appendix out. Now, at that point, it's highly unlikely you're going to go rushing down to the hospital and demand to have your appendix out. Okay, why not? Because you, you'll do two things. One, you'll want Alexa to explain itself, i.e. 
okay, thanks very much for that advice. How did you get to that decision? Right, okay. All right. And then secondly, you'll go and get a second opinion. Yeah. Um, but the bit about how did it get to its decision is the bit that Alexa will find that much more difficult, unless it was just reading from a pre-programmed script, you know. But if you think about the complexities of any sets of symptoms, a lot of what a doctor does is built up over experience and goes, right, okay, I, it could be this, it could be that. And eventually, over time, you could possibly pre-program -pro all of those things. You know, I mean, we had a go at that 30-odd years ago with expert systems. And the number of rules we ended up having to program got so overwhelming that people kind of gave up on it. Because it's not about just trying to document all the rules in the first place, which is hideously difficult. Um, but then you've got, to, you've got to keep them up to date. But at the moment, you as a human being wouldn't want to trust. I don't think your level of trust uh, is there's a level of trust there yet in, mm -hmm. in machines to make decisions which personally affect your medical condition. So we've got a lot of work to do in understanding how we construct explanations. What types of explanations do we construct? How do we do it? What types of knowledge do we need? And at the moment, today's AI systems aren't so sophisticated for the most part that they are able to do that. Given that these machines, they learn, they learn from, say, say they learn from mistakes, could there ever be a point that comes where machines become sentient? Well, yeah, I mean, there is that, uh, there is that possibility, if, but it would all be, uh, it would all be pre-programmed. I think that's where you get to this point about, well, so what is it to be a machine and what is it to be a, a human being? I mean, I always think, of, you know, people say to me well, about a, a machine, I think at the end of the day, it's a bit of tin. That's what it is. And it's a bit of a, it's a bit of tin and it's got a lot of electronics in it. And then it's got software on the electronics. Fine. That's what it is. That's a different type of being, if you like. It's, an, it's all inanimate mm -hmm. compared to us. But then you're into this, then you're, as I was saying earlier, what is it that distinguishes us from a machine if a machine can exhibit behavior which is similar to ours does that make it a human being or not so you're you're then trying to you're trying to unpack what are then the distinguishing characteristics of well an animal and a machine an animal can be not just us but other um you know, animals in the animal in the kingdom, animal kingdom. But you then you are trying to understand. So because you could you could in principle build a machine which exhibits many of the behavioural traits of a human being, and then you would ask yourself: so is that then a human being? And you can say, I could ask you this: you know, what do you feel when um, chatbots? are responding to your inquiries. So you're trying to buy some motor insurance and you get this kind of, you know, you ask your question, you type your question in and you get an answer back. <clears throat> well, half the time it's not a person, it's a, it's a machine that's answering the question. Now, sometimes you can figure that out actually from the way the answer is framed, but it's more about how do you feel when about that is that okay? Do you see that chatbot as a human being answering your question? Mm -hmm. 
or not? And if not, why not? It really sounds this, we've kind of gone from talking about the spiritual AI, we're really going down a, a very philosophical avenue here as to explore what it means to be a human. It's very fascinating. Yeah, and that's, that's, I mean, that's kind of, if you like, the bigger picture. The spiritual AI bit, was for me, was more about um, a set of services or a particular market segment, if you like, to use a business analogy, but that there will be a demand from people possibly half the world in some cases um, for to support to have support with their faith and it struck me it kind of resonated with me I suppose during the last three months when so many people um, have had to stay indoors Mm -hmm. and for many of those people who exhibit their faith by or part of their faith um, is manifest itself in uh, public worship and or having an engagement with their local um, pastor or priest or imam, then um, it's, it's, it's been a particularly difficult time. And I, it struck me that when, you know, would a spiritual or a robot, which was pre-programmed, if you like, but had, uh, was empathetic to that need, would that have eased uh, concerns? I was reminded about, um, well, I can't remember, what was the name of that film? Do you remember, I don't remember that film years ago with um, Tom Hanks and he was on the, on the, uh, the desert island. Castaway. Castaway. And what did he do? He, he, had his, he had this baseball, didn't he? Or the American or the football. Volleyball. That was a volleyball. volleyball yeah. And he, he, drew, he drew a face on it mm-hmm. because we need companionship. So that was, that, was a, that was kind of the back of my mind, too, that we, we, we like that. But from a spiritual advisor, I think at one end of the extreme, you'd have a, it would just be simply a, a, a source of knowledge where if you wanted to find out more information about your faith, it was like going to Wikipedia, but especially Wikipedia on your particular faith or faith world religions in general. And at the other end, then you are, are then engaging with somebody who, or a, being or a, a machine that can help you to structure your reflections your prayers your meditations um, and support you in in coming up with a program over a period of time to do that um so there you know and you would have different there and there'll be things in between of course uh and i'd anticipate to just having come from a because I come from a software background that you walk into PC world and you can you can buy what you want off the shelf whichever ones of those you want for me it's trying to get your head around the two things like spirituality just seems so personal and so such an intangible thing whereas machines it's ones and zeros you know you talk you called them a bit of tin earlier it's a, it's a piece of hardware and trying yep. to trying to get your head around how you can combine these two things, that for me is very challenging. I think there's a difference between whether a machine can support you in your developing your faith and your spirituality and whether the machine itself has its own spirituality. And that's when you, get, you do get more down the philosophical track mm-hmm. then. I think at the moment, just as I said earlier on, there are people of different faiths can draw upon centuries of literature and materials and support mechanisms um, to help them 
uh, a lot of that stuff will also be uh, available online you know but structuring it and personalizing it to you um, developing a program to suit your lifestyle that needs some thought and uh, needs some engagement I think still think that could be that's possible you know that could be some at some degree pre-programmed but, but again that's that's different from the robot itself having a spirituality I just even for me that I can't get grasp that myself really I think you could program it but whether it yeah anyway you're into the kind of is a robot can a robot be a person so you, you know, you're back to that question again Mike that was absolutely fascinating that was really interesting it's certainly thrown up a lot of philosophical questions thank you so much for joining me on today's show all right great to be with you Craig I'd like to thank everyone for listening to this episode and I hope you'll join us again soon when I'll be talking to another member of staff from Glasgow Caledonian University. In the meantime, please subscribe to this podcast via Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you're listening to us from. Until then, I've been Craig Telfer and this has been the Common Good Podcast.